What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dat who dat stuff? Who dat? You know, that's really kind of a, a fan. You know, that's that's our 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 chant. Duncan Holder Podcast back at you. Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here on the Athletics Podcast Network. Of course, if you are listening to this, tell a friend, tell a million, jump on the Duncan Holder Podcast train. Of course, you can find all of our pods, theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. You can get 40% off of an annual subscription to The Athletic and listen to all the pods and get all of our great coverage in New Orleans and around the country, around the globe. Of course, you know how The Athletic works by now. And of course, if you want to jump on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your pods, you can subscribe, tell a friend, tell a million to jump on the Duncan Holder podcast. Got a great podcast for you today. Uh, Of course, we're going to be talking about some of the news and notes going on around the Saints with Larry Warford being released And, of course, the schedule has come out since the last time we've done the podcast, so we'll dive into that. And in the back half of the podcast, great guest uh, with Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, the annual event where it's a who's who of top prospects uh, for the draft. And so he's going to give us his thoughts on the Saints draft class, on how the Senior Bowl works, how they're trying to grow the event. And, of course, the undrafted rookie. So great conversation in the back half of the Duncan Holder podcast. But, Jeff, of course, the uh, most significant news that, look, you and me have been talking about for two months. And even though to some folks it seemed like surprise land. uh, But Larry Warford, three-time Pro Bowl guard for the Saints, been released. That's definitely the most notable thing and got a lot of pub uh, at the back end of last week, Jeff. But look, that's something we all saw coming. And when they draft Cesar Ruiz, we know that that is. Uh, and Sean Payton even says out loud, uh, "Larry Warford, you might be in trouble." Yeah, I think we all saw the handwriting on the wall when they selected Cesar Ruiz in the first round. And Sean Payton in his and his post game press briefing, uh, post game post draft press briefing said, "Hey, look, we didn't." draft him to be a backup. Uh, whether that was going to happen this year or after Larry Warford's contract ran out uh, after the 2020 season, we knew Larry Warford's days were numbered. And I think uh, they just decided to move on and create some cap room. I think that was a key part. He became very expendable once they had Ruiz uh, on the roster. Uh, Larry Warford's cap number was pretty significant and was due a base salary of $7.6 million. Saints were tight against the cap. This was the easiest way for them to create some cap space in case they want to add to the roster uh, going forward, and I think they will. Uh, But Larry Warford had not been, I think, in great uh, standing with the Saints coaching staff for the last couple of years. He battled some weight issues. His performance, despite making the Pro Bowl, I think this underscores Some of the uh, myth of the Pro Bowl, it's more of a popularity contest now than it is a true indicator of performance. Uh, Larry Warford had not graded out that well the last couple of years as well. And so I think combination of his cap number and his uh, declining performance uh, led to this day. And Jeff, you you look at Larry Warford and uh, look, he came in, played very well at 2017 season, definitely his best year, probably his best year as a pro 
And I know teams are going to be interested in him, uh, no doubt about that. And it's not like Larry Warford isn't capable of still playing in the NFL. But I think part of uh, what we saw, and this isn't just a one-time thing, because any kind of metric you see, you could see his numbers, uh, his value has kind of slipped each year. Not a ton, but it has slipped. And if it's slipping and you have a high cap number and you figure, all right, we've got to protect the middle and we like what we could do with McCoy and feel like he's versatile and you've got Ruiz who they really feel like, and Jeff, I know you've talked about this on the pod, uh, that they feel like he could be a team captain in the very near future. They feel that strong about his leadership and his ability uh, to kind of man the middle of that line. I mean, that's why you you make this move and uh, you look at, now the entire front five of the Saints offensive line and it's all homegrown all draft picks Jeff yeah it really underscores also just how much of an emphasis Sean Payton Mickey Loomis Jeff Ireland and the coaching staff put on the offensive line it's always been a little bit of a misperception about the Saints that they're this finesse team Uh, I think the Saints understand it's difficult to find big men they play at an elite level that can move the way you need them to move against these terrific athletes at the NFL level. And you have to draft them high to get them. And the Saints certainly have done that. Now, I do think uh, it does open the door, though, a little bit for a younger player, say like a Cameron Tom or a Will Clapp. We know they have Nick Easton under contract as well. It does open the door for one of those players, I think, to become that sixth offensive lineman. Last year, we know the Saints had a significant number of injuries along the offensive line. uh, And it's probably going to happen again. And that's, that is one, I think, potential hazard in releasing Larry Warford is you have some unproven guys behind the starters. Although Easton has started in the league. Uh, Otherwise you don't have a lot of experience and it wouldn't shock me if they went out and got another veteran tackle uh, possibly to compete in camp because right now their backup tackles uh, really have no experience. And we all assume that if an injury were to occur to Taron Armstead or Ryan Ramchek, that they just slide Andres Pete into that position. They've done that in the past and then would promote maybe Easton or Cam Tom or Will Clapp into a starting spot. That's happened in the past. But certainly, um, uh, you know, Larry Warford's career here, I think he validated – Uh, the contract that they gave him. He certainly performed at a high level for a while, played on some very successful teams, and I'm certain he's not going to be unemployed very long. No, I'm with you there. And so I think it's just a a point of money. And then uh, I think that you look at, and it's not, like I said earlier, it's not a one-time thing, but if you watch that Minnesota game, I'm sure it scared Sean Payton. And they had trouble up the middle and he had his issues. And, uh, you know, you combine it all together and, Uh, You know, it's almost like once you get into that doghouse, you're never getting out. And we've seen people traded away, uh, just going back to Jimmy Graham trade, Kenny Stills trade, Brandon Cooks trade. Maybe, you know, depends on your definition of doghouse. But it's kind of like once you get on that side, it's really hard for someone to turn back. Yeah, and I I think Larry Warford's issues were probably, you know, longstanding. It wasn't just the Vikings game performance. It wasn't just this past year's way. I mean, this is something they've, they've been dealing with for a couple of years. And and if you don't prove to the staff that you can address it, um, especially with what the Saints ask from their interior linemen, we know how much 
Uh, they rely on the outside zone run, run scheme and also in the screen game, which has not been – it was not as strong last year as it has been in the past. Uh, they rely on those interior offensive linemen to get out in space and make those blocks on those screens. It was a strength of the team a couple of years ago, and I think it's going to be a strength uh, this year because Ruiz, as, as our guest later in the podcast will attest, is one of the better interior athletes that was available in the draft, and we know what Eric McCoy played like a year ago. So I think in some ways uh, the Saints offensive line could perform better, but it's certainly a, a drop-off in experience. Yeah, and people keep asking the question, where's Ruiz going to play? I think he plays center. Uh, I think they move Eric McCoy to guard. It's the word that I heard back in the combine, that depending on what they wanted to do, they were open to the to the concept of moving McCoy to guard. Uh, and it seems like that might be a better fit just going by even Ruiz's own word, uh, going back to the combine where he said, look, he played guard uh, his freshman year, but he didn't. He felt like he didn't play that well. And he once he moved back to a, his natural position at center that he really excelled. And of course, that's uh, why he had such a high draftable grade and number 24 overall. So I... Uh, if I, I would be willing to uh, place a an entertainment value wager that Ruiz will be at center and McCoy will be at guard. Yeah, I think that makes sense. A lot of people asking about it because they concerned that there's no off-season program and, and that Ruiz is going to have difficulty picking up the scheme. But trust me, the Saints offensive line uh, coaching staff, uh, Brandon Nugent, and Dan Roshar will be working with him throughout this offseason virtually in the playbook. And uh, I think what happens is they get him to camp. They cross-train both of them at guard and center to have that flexibility. But one of the strengths of Ruiz is that he's very smart and uh, he's going to have a lot of experience around him, uh, especially to his, to his left with Andres Pete, who's been in the lineup for a while. So I think it's a, it'll be a, it won't be as difficult a transition as people think. But it, look, if it doesn't work out and it doesn't look good early in camp, it's much easier for them to move him to guard as well. So, But his future in the NFL is at center. So whether it occurs right off the bat or down the road, I think eventually we're going to see McCoy playing right guard uh, and Ruiz at center. I think you're right. Yeah, and I think people also, they're saying, why are you moving McCoy after he had such a good rookie season? Well, it's not that challenging to move from center to guard. Like, you're not moving someone from center to tackle. The interior, there's a lot of similar movements uh, that you would play guard-center. Like, that's why you, when you do have a utility guy, you either have him do guard-tackle or guard-center. Uh, you're not doing center-tackle. You know what I mean? And so I think people are leery uh, about that, but Look, Ruiz is a higher prospect than McCoy was. So I, I think people are, are just – I think they're just on edge knowing that this is a good team and, and they don't they really don't want things to kind of be jumbled up and all of a sudden Drew Brees is hurt and then uh, all hell breaks loose. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. And I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, the Saints are extremely well coached up front. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, Larry. I mean, uh, Brendan Nugent was a guy that uh, the Carolina Panthers, Joe Brady – tried to hire away from the Saints, and the Saints blocked him and, and gave him a big raise. I mean, he's going to be an offensive line coach in this league. He's a very good coach, very well respected around, not only in the Saints' offices, but also in the league. 
And uh, along with Dan Roshar, uh, the Saints have an excellent one-two punch there along the line. So uh, I think they'll do everything they can to get these guys ready. I actually think the Saints line uh, now is going to be the best in the NFL. Uh, and there's been some drop-off in Dallas. Uh, they, they've, they've had some guys retire, and, and their, their performance is not measured up to the hype. And I think the Saints, now that they've addressed some of the interior weaknesses, and I know Andres Pete has still struggled with inconsistency, what we're hearing internally is that they're chalking that up to some injuries that he was playing with that really hampered his performance. I'm in a wait-and-see mode on that. That sounds like an excuse to me. Uh, when I watch Andres Pete and some of the some of the inconsistent performances, I don't see it from a physical point of view. I see it more of a mental point of view, blown assignments, uh, going the wrong way, you know, those kind of things. They happen in an NFL season, uh, but they seem to happen to him more often than other people up front. But if, he, if Andres Pete is your weak link up front, you're better than 95% of the rest of the uh, – NFL lines. Well, that's kind of the way it's been in the last few years anyway. You always feel like Andres Pete's probably the fifth best lineman on their team, and yet that if he's your fifth best lineman, you're probably in pretty good shape. And so, uh, but yeah, of course, you throw in the Andres Pete contract. I mean, I think that was the telling tale. If you're going to pay one person, you're not going to pay Warford. And so uh, that was also part of the equation. But, uh, but Jep, wait and see mode also with what's come out last week, the schedule, Saints schedule, out and of course, plenty of primetime games, uh, plenty of focus on the matchups with uh, Drew Brees and Tom Brady. Christmas Day, uh, Jeff, what do you make of the schedule uh, when you just kind of see it on its surface? Not know, and also look, you, that's all we can really do is look at it on its surface because we don't know at this point whether there's going to be fans, whether they delay it. I mean, there's contingency plans that uh, that are going to make some of this stuff maybe possibly tentative? Well, I think just at first glance, what is pretty evident is that the NFL still considers the Saints one of the best teams in the NFL and one of the most high-profile popular teams in the NFL. I mean, the the fact that they awarded them four primetime games and that exclusive Christmas Day slot, which is basically a national broadcast, right in the heart of Christmas Day against the Vikings uh, and also have a preseason primetime game as well. The fact that most of their kickoffs are in the prime 330, 325 afternoon slot on Fox and CBS, uh, that is also where you want to be. To me, that indicates uh, the NFL is bullish on the Saints, not only uh, in their ability to, to attract viewers, but also that they're going to have another successful year. Uh, enormous amount of prime time, uh, I'm sorry, prime matchups against elite quarterbacks. I mean, we knew this before the schedule came out. The home schedule, Larry, is the best in Saints history. There's absolutely no doubt about it. We've never seen a lineup of quarterbacks coming through here. Uh, Tom Brady right off the bat in a matchup against Drew Brees. The first time in NFL history, Two 40-something-year-old starting quarterbacks will go against each other. Uh, That is a perfect way to start the season. You get Aaron Rodgers in the second home game in a a primetime Sunday night game, another future Hall of Famer later on in the year. You get the rematch with the 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo. Then you get the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, the first time the Saints will see the Chiefs and and Mahomes. Uh, It's just 
riddled with great games. Uh, there are very few stinkers on this on this schedule. And uh, while you're right, we it's always hazardous to try and project what's going to be the easy part, what's going to be the tough part. It looks to me just on the surface like the, the, the first half of the season is easier than the second half. Now, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But uh, the other thing I, I think that is interesting is the fact that we don't know if this schedule is even going to be played because of the uh, uh, coronavirus pandemic. We also uh, anticipate that a lot of these games will not be played uh, in full stadiums or probably more like limited capacity stadiums or empty stadiums. Uh, all all these questions remain unanswered at this point. Right, and I think that's kind of the wait and see mode. Usually, as us as uh, sports writers, journalists, columnists, uh, we're already making our scheduling plans, and we're definitely refraining from that because uh, look, some of these games might get shifted, they might get chopped off the schedule. Uh, you don't know. So on the surface, though, if we're just going to go with what we see right now, I'd say. You're right in that the first part is more manageable. And I'm just staring at uh, this part of the schedule late November early to mid-December when you've got three road games back-to-back-to-back, uh, to back to back, no bye week. You're at Denver, at Atlanta, at the Eagles. And I feel like that even though you look at all three of those teams on the surface and say, all right, the Saints are better than all those teams – but you, you almost expect maybe a hiccup somewhere in there. So I think that's that's going to be an interesting and challenging part to the schedule. But you're right, Jeff. It, it just goes to show you that the Saints are still prime watching. And I'm wondering if Christmas Day you're going to see the Saints play that 3 o'clock slot and then when are we going to watch Zion? Because he's going to be playing Christmas Day, too, with the Pelicans. You know yep. that's going to be happening. Yeah, that was a really interesting decision by the NFL to play that game on Christmas Day. Uh, that has long been the NBA's basic holiday. Uh, they usually have a, a quadruple header all day long of basketball. Uh, and I've talked to someone in the, in the network TV industry that basically said – Hey, you know what? Let them react to us. I mean, this is, we are the NFL. Uh, you know, the NFL is the, the granddaddy of uh, leagues, sports leagues in, in America. Let's put a game on there and see if the NBA reacts to us. I mean, that's kind of the way the network was thinking, Fox in particular, grabbing that game. But certainly um, is a prime game from a viewership standpoint. I mean, the Vikings and Saints have had so many. Uh, epic battles here in the last three, three or four years. Uh, that's, I'm sure, going to be one that the Saints are pointing toward on their schedule and Saints fans as well because of the bitter way the season ended a year ago. Yeah, you don't want to watch and be disappointed on Christmas Day. Make sure you don't. You you turn away when the Minneapolis miracle showed like 15 times. You know it's coming. Or say when P.J. Williams gets beat by Kyle Rudolph. I mean, you just just be prepared for that. That's going to be your your. Uh, it's like you got coal for Christmas for that. But if the Saints win that game, then maybe you'll you'll probably get over that. But all right, let's going to wrap up this half of the Duncan Holder podcast on our second half of the pod coming up. Jim Nagy from the Reese's Senior Bowl, the executive director. You don't want to miss this conversation. Uh, draft picks, all about the Senior Bowl. Uh, undrafted rookies, the process they go through to make that game happen. So that's going to come up 
uh, on the second half of the Duncan Holder podcast. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We are suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. It doesn't have to be this way. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to develop perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code FOOTBALL at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code FOOTBALL for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code FOOTBALL. And on that note, second half of the Duncan Holder podcast. Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here with you. And Jeff, we are joined now by someone who has taken the reins to the Reese's Senior Bowl and looking forward to this conversation, Jeff. Yeah, thanks, Larry. We're really excited to have uh, Jim Nagy on the podcast today. Jim has a great job. I have to have to tell you, I thought I'd had a good job, but uh, Jim is now the executive director of the Senior Bowl. This is Jim's second year in that role. He replaced Phil Savage, and uh, for all of our listeners out there, the Senior Bowl, if you don't know about the Senior Bowl, and I can't imagine you don't uh, if you're listening to this podcast, it is the premier college football all-star game uh, there is. It, it long has been in that uh, capacity, and Jim has taken it over now in his second year as executive director. He worked before that uh, as an NFL scout for 18 years uh, with a lot of different teams, very successful teams. And uh, so we wanted to get Jim on, and we're very uh, privileged to have him on. Jim, thanks uh, for joining the program. I know this is uh, kind of a crazy time of year. I'm, I'm curious uh, how the pandemic, first of all, has has affected your work and your staff's work uh, over at the Senior Bowl. I mean, are you all working from home like everybody else? Or are you able to go into the office? How's it impacted you? Yeah, Larry, Jeff, thanks for having me on. I, I appreciate it. it. It's it's definitely impacted things. Um, mostly what we try to do here locally with the game. I know over there in New Orleans, uh, I've been over there and met with the nice uh, people over at the Sugar Bowl um, last June. I went over there and they're, they're kind of in a similar space as us in terms of being a, a one day a year game. So um, we, we, we try to do similar things in the community. So it's really it's really prevented us from from doing some of those things, like a seven on seven league for our for our public schools here in Mobile. You know, there's there's a lot of private schools over here that have the money to travel and do those things. So we're going to try to do that this year. The, for the first year, um, we do a scout school every year. Phil Savage started that. Uh, I tweaked it a little bit last year and just opened it up to former NFL players only um, because there is a there is a big lack of former players and minorities in the in the scouting profession. So I wanted to change that up a little bit. We had to cancel our Hall of Fame event for this year. Uh, we were really excited about our class. Cam Jordan was going to be part of that class. 
So we had to postpone that. So we really have, we've had to, we've had to uh, limit a lot of things we're doing uh, mostly on a community level, um, but we're full speed ahead on the 2021 senior bowl. So that hasn't stopped anything. We're, we're uh, our, our three scouting assistants have looked at every FBS level player so far. I'm staring at the board right now with over 500 names on it. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting an, about ready to have an anxiety attack because I've got so many players to watch here, but uh I'm getting cranked on it now. I had to see last year's draft class through to the end, um, doing some work for ESPN. So now that I'm done with that, it's uh, I'm jumping on to next year's game, and and we're we'll we'll crank through the summer on that. And uh, you know we have been working from home, uh, back in the office this week, doing the social distance thing. Um, and yeah, we're uh, we're gonna go full speed on this football. Jim, how early do you prepare for say a next class? I mean, because you're so geared up and you want to get. Uh, all the prospects, the right prospects in uh, for the Senior Bowl, say, in 2020. When do you start building that board uh, for, say, 2021 uh, to make sure you get the, the players that you want to come in? It really happens almost immediately after our game is over. Um, that's a good question. So, you know, I gave the guys a week to kind of recharge the batteries. We all got out of here for a little bit um, for a couple of days because it's really an exhausting week uh, when you're trying to – you know, put on the game and then all the other events that we've created around it. Um, we, we had a Mardi Gras parade this year with the players. We had a free concert with New Orleans band, the Revivalist downtown Mobile that had 15,000 people at it. Uh, we, we just got a lot of stuff going on during the week. So we all needed, we all needed a break. Um, but yeah, the scouting assistants jumped on this year's class right a, a week after. And, and like I said, they've graded everybody um, at the FBS level. We're, we're getting down into the smaller school stuff right now. And it is, it's, it's, it's pretty much a 12 month process now trying to do this thing the right way, you know, just like an NFL front office would. So it is, it's a, uh, it's a year round deal. And I'll, uh, I'll be, I'll be playing catch up all summer trying to get these guys before we kick off the season, uh, whenever that might be. Um, you know, I'm just focused on that original kickoff tape there at the end of August. Hopefully we'll, uh, I'll have seen all these players by then. You know, Jim, I've always said, uh, that the Senior Bowl week is the great unwritten book in in football journalism because uh, it's so much more than just a scouting uh, week for everyone down there. It's almost like an NFL convention in a lot of ways. And, you know, I've been going down to Mobile uh, since I started covering the Saints beat in 2000 and have really fond memories of, of – I don't want to get too nostalgic here, but like the old days I can remember the Saints would in, in the Jim Hazlitt era – he would have his staff stay out at the, at the Grand, out you know, in Point Clear, and we would go. I, I would book a room there, and and you know, there would be scouting all day long. And then at the at the hotel lobby bar, I could uh, sit with the coaching staff and the scouting staff, and kind of get the goods on on what they saw and what they were what they uh, were you know uh, who they were looking at. And I remember distinctly being able to stand on the sidelines at some of the practices with the coaches. I know those days are gone, but how else has it changed from, say, when you first started going to Mobile as a scout to now? Uh, I can imagine it's it's grown immensely, especially with the, you know, the burgeoning media and with the Internet right now. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head with your last statement. The media thing is really um, more so than it ever did. This was this past year, I think, was my 23rd Senior Bowl. Um, second, uh, working for the game. Um, but yeah, the media aspect has really changed. We, we credentialed over 900 NFL folks this year. Um, 
but we were well over 700 on the media side. So, you know, and it's not, it's, it's, uh, you know, the Twitter scouts, it's the, um, you know, the team sites. I mean, we're having as many people on the digital side from, you know, a, a team like the saints. I mean, they're bringing five, six people on the social digital side to come over here and create content during the week. So that's probably the biggest change I've seen. Um, and also since, you know, since I got to the game in the summer of 2000 and, uh, in 18, we've really tried to grow the week out. Like I talked about having that players Mardi Gras parade, really trying to play on the heritage of Mardi Gras in our city. Um, having the revivalists come over this year was a big deal. Players, that was the players' favorite thing of the whole week was that parade that went right into that concert. Downtown Mobile, we've had a, a senior, bowl, um, senior Bowl Summit the last two years. Like we had Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V came over and was a the keynote speaker for that. We drew almost a thousand people to that event downtown at the Sanger Theater. So we're just really trying to build the week out. And, and again, that was, that was me going to the draft last year in, in Nashville and seeing what a spectacle that's become and, and them getting 600,000 people over to Nashville for that event. And again, I'm just, I'm just thinking about that, how much, I mean, our event is so great. Um, you know, you go to the draft and, and there's, you know, 30 players up there, but fans can't get anywhere near them. And at the end of the day, it's a kid walking across the stage holding his Jersey up. So um, you know, whereas here you get real football, like you said, you can stand down along the fence line at the stadium and be 10 feet from, you know, one-on-one -on -one drills. Like you said, I mean, every coach and scout in the league is here. So you can walk up and down Dolphin Street downtown. And um, I popped into a place this year and there was three head coaches all sitting in the bar drinking beer together. Um, you know, and then you've got and you can literally come over to the team hotel and, and grab Justin Herbert and take a selfie pick, you know, take a selfie with them. So the, the access is so incredible. Um, and what, what, you know, I started to call around last year after that trip to Nashville. And what I realized was, um, you know, we just haven't done a great job marketing that to the fans. I mean, I think I reached out to a lot of blog sites and, you know, where, you know, the SB nation sites and whatnot. And uh, the, the feedback I kept getting was that the fans think that that event, that your event is for the media and for the league, but not for them. And I said, well, we got to change that. So I'm glad I'm on with you guys today because I really want to, um, you know, this is a Saints, the whole Gulf Coast is, is Saints country. And uh, I would love to somehow get, have a downtown bar down here, be like Saints headquarters for, for Senior Bowl week, um, you know, and get Jeff Ireland and, and some of those guys with the Saints to come over and make an appearance and just give the Saints fans a place to congregate for like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, make this a, a weekend. And that's why we're adding the, the, the concert and the parade. We're really trying to grow the week out and give people from New Orleans and, and from all over the country a reason to come down here and spend three or four days in Mobile and just really enjoy the event. So um, we've taken huge steps forward in the last two years in terms of growing this week and and uh, we hope to continue to do so moving into 2021. Jim, if you promise a party, you know New Orleanian will show up. So I think that could happen in droves with no problem. Right. As long as we avoid the who had Mardi Gras first debate, and let's just let's just be friends about that. I think I think everyone in New Orleans uh, will be uh, will be ready to go. Well, you know, I, I think people in Mobile would fight you on that. I'm not a native Mobilian. I married a, a Mobile native, but I know they would. Those they are, are fighting words over here. But they they are two they are two different events. I mean, you go to you go to the two Mardi Gras, and they both have a different feel. They're both pretty sweet, and uh, and really the reason for having the Mardi Gras parade with the players. Um, and we had we had all we had all uh, 120 players sign autograph footballs the day they got into town, and so they're throwing autograph footballs to the 
to the fans. It was pretty cool. But I, I want fans from outside of the Gulf Coast that have never been to any Mardi Gras, whether it's Mobiles or, or New Orleans, um, if they're going to come here for the week, get a taste of it um, because it is so unique. I mean, I feel like we have it. You guys have it over there. And we kind of sometimes take it for granted um, that, that the rest of the country knows what it's all about. So some of the feedback I got last year from the players, parents and families, um, they kind of got to take in a, a Mardi Gras parade, man. They loved it. So that's that's definitely something we're going to continue is that because our not only did the players love it, the families loved it, and uh, the out-of-towners loved it. Yeah, Jim, let's get into this Saints draft class real quick because uh, Saints fans obviously very excited about uh, you know the class. I mean, they didn't have a lot of picks, uh, but the, I guess the phrase everyone's using is quality over quantity. I know you know the Saints scouting department very well uh, since Jeff Ireland's taken over. Uh, they've really drafted extremely well. I'm sure that's not by coincidence. Uh, I know he has a good reputation in the scouting community, but what? give us your take on what the Saints did over those three days in the draft. Yeah, I think they did a great job. Like you said, uh, quality over quantity. They didn't have many picks, but they maximized them, and you hit it too. Jeff, Jeff's done a tremendous job. Um, I've known Jeff a long time. We got into the business around the same time. Um, he actually came up to Seattle when I was with the Seahawks and spent a draft with us. Um, when he was between that Miami and, and New Orleans gigs and uh, got to know Jeff even better through that time. And man, he's, he's done a great job. I mean, you really can't, really can't say enough for the job he's done with, with these draft classes the last few years. And, and to start off with the class, Cesar Ruiz um, is a guy that wasn't eligible for the senior bowl, but um, I did a lot of work on him because I, I went to Michigan and I know those guys up there really well. Um, so they asked me, they reached out to, to me to, to look at Caesar and give him some feedback on, on where he'd get drafted. You know, they were just trying to reach out to, to different NFL people. Coach Harbaugh's got a lot of guys in the league too. So, um, you know, I got Caesar on the phone and, and talked to him about my evaluation of him and, you know, what I, where I thought he would go. Uh, really good player. He's a day one starter. I, it's going to be interesting. You guys probably know better than than I do. I, I've been texting with Jeff since the draft, but uh, haven't spoken with him for what his plan with Caesar is. You probably know that better than I do. But you know, you got you drafted Eric McCoy last year in the second round, who was a Senior Bowl guy the year before, and, and did a great job over here in Mobile. And uh, I know he played at a really high level for the Saints this year. So, you know what they do if they you know, keep McCoy at, at center and, and put C, plug Caesar in at guard. Um, it doesn't really matter. I mean, now you've got two really high end young guys on that interior. Um, that's always been an important part for Drew's game is having a deep pocket. So, you know, Caesar's a big, strong dude. He can play square. He doesn't get pushed um, in pass pro. And then, uh, you know, he's good in the run game as well. So, I really, I really liked um, where Caesar got picked. I think it opened some eyes. I don't know if uh, you know all the draft experts had Caesar going that high, but he's certainly a really good player. And you get a, you get a guy you plug in and going to have. He's going to be a, a two contract guy for them at minimum. Um, that's the kind of player he is. So that's that's a great pick at wherever it was, twenty four, I believe, whatever that number that number pick was. That, that was a really nice and pick. As far as players that you guys have been able to scout and senior bowl bound. I, I know you, uh, if you go back, uh, what is it? May 5th, maybe a week ago, you, you kind of did a, a breakdown of some of the Saints draft picks on your Twitter feed. And uh, first off, Zach Bond, uh, you know, I think that's a player that uh, a lot of people figured he might even be borderline first round. Uh, the Saints trade up 
in in round three to get him, and they were willing to spend more to actually trade up even higher to get him. They said they spent m- much of the day just trying to go get him, and they did. And I think uh, Saints fans are wondering about Zach because he has such great sack numbers and was used as such a great as a, a weapon for Wisconsin as a pass rusher. But the Saints are going to want to maybe use him at Mike and Sam. Just kind of your breakdown as if he can fit that and what what. Uh, Zach Bond is going to bring to the table here. Yeah, I think some of the draft day trades really get overlooked. That was that was really good job being aggressive by the Saints and going up and getting a guy they valued. I did. I thought Zach had a chance to go in the late first. I thought New England was a, a really uh, logical landing spot for Zach because he is so versatile. Uh, like you said, he you know he can play he can play on the line of scrimmage. You know, really has a knack for rushing the passer. Plays longer on tape than he than he looks and he measures. Um, you know, he's not the longest bodied guy, but man, he's got a nice long arm move and he really knows how to rush. So, um, you know, I think he's going to be a factor there. I think you're going to see him more on the line on third down, at least I would think. Um, but then what he showed down here in Mobile, we, we played him off the ball quite a bit. So um, the thought of them playing him at Mike or Will um, totally makes sense. And again, I mean, there's so much attrition on a roster I was talking to a GM the other day, and he said over 30% of their roster, opening day roster, was on IR by the end of last season. So, I mean, that's incredible turnover, incredible churn over the course of a season. So to have a guy like Zach that you can really move around in case you have injuries like that um, is incredibly valuable. Really good football player. He was at the top of our linebacker stack um, with a couple other guys from last summer all the way through. I mean, we didn't we didn't even have to move him. I mean, he was up there off his junior tape and he played at a really high level as a senior as well. So for them to get him in the third round, I mean, that's, that's like a round, round and a half um, later than I, I, he could have gone. So again, I thought that was a, a home run pick. Yeah, for them. And Jim, one of the great things about the senior bowl is you get this kind of a, a gathering of prospects from all different levels. And this certainly applies to the saints third pick in the draft Adam Troutman comes in from University of Dayton I think it's a division what division three competition at Dayton it's FCS non-scholarship so it's 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 the pioneer league and it's the closest thing the best thing you could equate it to would be the Ivy League so they're in a league it's a really crazy league geographically if you pulled up the pioneer league right now and googled it They've got like Stetson from Florida, University of San Diego, um, Drake in Iowa, and Dayton in Ohio. I mean, they're that conference is I don't know how they align that conference or put that conference together, but uh, yeah, it's FCS non scholarship. It's pretty crazy. So you get a chance to see a, a prospect like Adam Troutman in practice all week go against uh, you know Division One athletes, uh, elite level prospects. How did he fare, and uh, what kind of prospect do you see him being for the Saints? Yeah, he's another guy. Um, we, we had we had some really cool small school players in the game this year. Kyle Duggar went 37 overall to the to the Pats, and then Jeremy Chen from Southern Illinois went uh, last pick in the second round to the Panthers, and then Adam um, was the next small school guy. So. You know, he went there. He went to Dayton as a quarterback. They moved him to tight end. He was a dominant player at that level. Um, anytime you put on small school tape, you want to see a guy that that's clearly dominant that just jumps off the tape. And Adam did that. Um, when our Midwest scout went and saw him play this fall, he had four touchdowns in the first half. And uh, 
our scout texted me and he's like, man, I'm, I'm hitting the road. I don't, I've seen enough. I'm going to, I'm going to Columbus. He double dipped that day and went to a game at Ohio state in the, in the afternoon. So, um, you know, we knew what he was at the FCS level and we knew he belonged in the game that you're right. This is, that's always been a great part of the senior bowl is you bring these small school kids down and give them an opportunity to compete against the best of the best from the SEC and the big 10. And, and, uh, you know, the great thing for Adam was he proved he could block bigger, stronger people. So he did that at Dayton Tape. He came off the ball and he got into people and, and could, you know, just really um, did some man amongst boys stuff at that level. But then to come down here and, you know, first, you know, day one of practice, he's he's going against guys from, you know, you know, big schools, you know, first and second round picks um, and holding his own. And and the, the big thing with Adam was like he wasn't overwhelmed by it. Um, sometimes, and this is just my experience over the last two years, we brought in, a, especially last year, we invited a couple small school kids down that, that really the stage seemed a little too big for them. You could see it in their eyes. They just weren't confident. They weren't comfortable. Um, and, and, it, and it showed, whereas Adam came down here and, and again, you could see it in his eyes when he came down. He, he, he knew he belonged here, especially after that first day of practice and uh, really had a good week. Um, the pass game stuff comes really easy to him. He's a really twitchy athlete. He plays with a lot better tempo than than his forty time at the combine would would suggest. That, you know, I think he ran four eight, which he he plays more like a four six guy. So, um, really cool player. Again, I know they aggressively went up to get him as well. So, to me, rather than than using you know a lot of picks in the in the middle rounds. They use those picks to move up. And, and again, the, there was a lot of feeling amongst GMs in this year's draft that this draft really fell off in about the mid-fourth round. Um, so using those picks to move up and aggressively getting guys like Vaughn and, and Troutman was really good part of the, the strategy part of the draft. I think, you know, the evaluation part is one thing, but the strategy part is another. And that's that's where I think that uh, Jeff Ireland and those guys nailed it. And even if you just look at, say, the traditional trade chart, uh, you know, for uh, for us novice folks sometimes. Uh, and the Saints' value going up to that pick was better than the value where they had the the other four picks. I think people sometimes in New Orleans, they kind of fantasize uh, and or romanticize about the times when, oh, the Saints found Jari Evans and got Carl Nix and Zach Streif and Marcus Colston. And people have to remember that that was a decade ago, and that's not the norm. So people are kind of spoiled when they see that uh, that process. No, I, no, absolutely. Adam's a guy. Just back to Troutman, real quick. I mean, I think he'll get on the field right away. Um, you know, as a number two at minimum. But the, the kid's got legit upside to be a, a high end starter in the league. So I'm really excited to see where. See where Adam takes his career, because again, he's wired for it, man. He's he, he's got the body, he's got the skills, um, and he's got the mindset for it. He's got. I talked to him after the draft. He's excited to be coming to New Orleans and, and playing with Drew and those guys, and being coached by Sean Payton. And and I told him, show up, show up to training camp exactly how you showed up to Mobile for our game, and you'll be fine. Because he he was down here and he and he he had that chip on his shoulder so uh really excited to see where he goes with it hey jim you you tweeted out last week uh you thought the saints signed one of the league's better undrafted free agent classes uh you know sean payton likes to quote bill parcells a lot and one of the things he quotes often around draft time is is parcells would say hey we spend 90 percent of our time talking about 10 percent of the draft meaning the first and second round and actually uh 
what makes or breaks a draft class is often the later round picks and these undrafted free agent uh, players. Um, what what do you see out of this group in particular? A few players that might have had draftable grades that uh, slipped through the cracks and, and fell to the Saints in the undrafted free agent ranks. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with Coach Parcells on that one. Yeah, you are definitely building the, you're you're building the meteor football team and on day three and in, in rookie free agency. Um, I really like the Tommy Stevens pick. Um, we could talk about that one for a long time. I saw him at the Manning camp last summer. I know that uh, everyone sees his immediate value as being Taysom Hill 2.0, and I, I would agree with that. I, I looked at some wide receiver stuff of him at Penn State, and he's, he's that kind of athlete. Um, but he's he's got quarterback skills as well. He, the kid can really throw it. But um, to the undrafted class, they, they they knocked it out of the park there too because I and – I, and, and that's where I thought would be the most difficult part of this virtual thing. I, I, I didn't think it teams would have a trouble with the draft, but how this, how this part of the process came together with everyone working remotely, I thought would be really difficult, but you know, getting Michigan state linebacker, Joe Bocce, he was a guy that we, we looked at really closely for our game. He was right under the cut line for us. A really good player played a ton of football at Michigan state instinctive. Uh, I think he tested a lot better than a lot of people thought he ran well. He ran in the four sixes. He jumped high. Uh, did all those things, um, you know, so he stands out. Marquez Callaway, the uh, receiver from Tennessee, is a, you know, got held back a little bit by some quarterback play and different things there at Tennessee, but he's a big explosive guy that has return ability, so I could see him making it. Um, I didn't work all the way through that class. Juwan, um, uh, the receiver from the receiver from Oregon, you got to help me with Juwan Johnson. Yeah, Juwan Johnson. Um was a guy at Oregon that we really liked. He got hurt early in the year. Justin Herbert really felt the effects of that. He didn't get a bunch of small guys after that, after Juwan got hurt. Um, so that was a big loss for the Ducks. He's a guy that's going to come in and compete. His teammate there at Oregon, uh, Throckmorton, was a guy we, we brought up here in the middle of the week during the Senior Bowl, um, can play four positions from, from left guard out to right tackle. So he's a guy that's going to compete just because of his – position versatility so they, they had a lot of players there's six seven names in that in that undrafted crew that are legit legitimately going to have a chance to um, compete for one of those back-end roster spots and and no doubt stick on the practice squad that's awesome Jim uh, before we let you go and this has been a great uh, a great visit we really appreciate all your time but I want to put you on the spot here for one final question uh, for everyone in the Gulf Coast listening to this tonight or day and and in New Orleans that might be visiting Mobile. You've you've been in Mobile now for almost two decades, I guess, right? Or you've been down there a while. Um, we want a restaurant recommendation. Now, now, look, I've been to Winchell's. I know about the Oyster House there. I love it. Is there a place you would recommend to people on the Gulf Coast that haven't been to Mobile that are going to come and spend some time down there that you would wreck a place to visit uh, for good maybe seafood or just a good – mobile experience yeah there, there's a couple places there's a couple seafood places on the causeway um between on mobile bay here um the bluegill is a great one felix's is a great one um both those spots are are really cool especially on a on a nice day overlooking mobile bay downtown the restaurant scene has really picked up over like the last five years there's a place called chuck's fish um that i love going to actually I went there last night and got some takeout um, great, great restaurant, seafood, sushi, you know, fresh from the Gulf every day. 
um, the owner has a bunch of chucks all over the place. There's one in a lot of college towns, Athens, Georgia, Tuscaloosa, and he gets everything out of Destin. Um, he gets all his fish uh, out of Destin. So that's another great spot. But that's uh, the one great thing about both our cities, New Orleans and Mobile. We, we, we have great food. So I, I appreciate that question. Well, Jim, look, we really appreciate the time. I thought we'd have you for 15 minutes and we had you a little longer. And that's uh, I just got mystified and didn't watch the clock. But uh, you got you brought so much great insight. We uh, we really appreciate you jumping on the Duncan Holder podcast. And I'm sure we will uh, uh, we'll be following what you're uh, what you're going to be scouting through throughout the year. So, Jim, we appreciate you jumping on the pod. Yeah, guys, I appreciate you having me on, and I, I am going to follow back up when we get into next fall and have you guys help me coordinate some sort of uh, Saints bar down here for Senior Bowl week next year. I, you, I can promise you that. You got it. Sold. You got it. That's a, that's got a great it. idea. All right, Jim. All right, guys, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. All right, that's uh, Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl. What a great podcast. And that's going to wrap up this edition of the Duncan Holder podcast. Of course, uh, subscribe, theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. You can get uh, 40% off your annual subscription. And, of course, you can go Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your pods. So, again, want to thank uh, Jim Nagy for jumping on the pod. I want to thank our incredible producer, Danielle. And, of course, for Jeff Duncan, I'm Larry Holder. Thanks for jumping on the Duncan Holder podcast here on the Athletics Podcast Network.